Uh, honey, it's your turn. I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. Okay. I'll let you sleep. Why don't you let me sleep? Ow. You giving me dirty looks isn't gonna make the light turn sooner, buddy. Yes, I know. I only have 159 more copies to make, so of course I'd like to hear about your aunt's 12-hour abdominal surgery. Yes, ma'am. You're right. You're always right. I'll redo the entire presentation. People are crazy. Aw, oh, sounds like it was a hard day. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Thanks, honey. Well, good morning. Great to see you, New City. We love you. So grateful that you're here today. If you're joining us on one of our campuses or online, grateful to have each of you for, for worship. We're continuing a series entitled Sandpaper People, and we're going to jump back into that in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to give a quick update on our Christmas Eve serve offering. We took an offering uh, across all of our campuses at all of our services on Christmas Eve. And uh, all of uh, the, the money that was collected uh, went to three local organizations, uh, Urban Promise, uh, Urban Ministry Center, and Congregations for Kids, three incredible partners here in the city doing awesome kingdom work. And I'm so grateful to be able to give an update this morning about our serve offering that we collected over $165,000 in our serve offering, which is incredible. I'm just overwhelmed with that. And so this week, this was so much fun, we were able to go to all three organizations and give them a check for $55,000 from New City Church for the work they're doing, and we recorded it, and we want you to be able to see it. We were able to share your story through the video and the stories of two other organizations, Congregations for Kids and Urban Promise, um, but we're so thrilled with what happened and what God did, and to be able to present you a check today for uh, $55,000. What? <laughs> you are kidding? $55,000 to Urban Promise. for $55,000 to Congregations for Kids. And also just to say um, how much we love you and appreciate you. So, so thank you. You heard that right. Like at our best, we are people helping people. That's what this will be. This will be more hands and feet to walk and journey with people. It's just for me, it's just the confirmation that we're doing the right thing. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm. well, thank you guys so much. It's a gift, but also an investment. And I, I think you invest in, in things that you really believe in. Thanks, guys. It's incredible. Thank you all. This is awesome. Thank you, New City, for your generosity. Let's, let's continue to be generous. We're at our best when we're generous. Uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so let's continue to walk through life with open hands, uh, not only receiving what the Lord has given to us, all the great things he wants to give to us, but uh, the ways that he wants to use us to, uh, to give life away to others. So grateful for your generosity, and thank you again uh, for giving in this way. Let's pray together. 
God, thank you for the opportunity to be your servants, your people uh, here in this place. We're grateful to be able to partner with so many amazing churches and organizations across our city to bring the new life of Jesus to this place. And that's our ultimate goal, that every man, woman, and child in this city and around the world would be exposed to the gospel, would know who you are, Jesus, would fall in love with you and, and desire to follow you. As we open up your word today as a, as a group of Christ followers who are bringing gospel renewal to our city and world, would you open our hearts and our minds to hear your truth that never returns void? Would you use your word today to correct us and to encourage us and to help us to continue to follow after you in the ways that you have for us? We lift all this up in your name and all God's people said together, amen. amen. Winston Churchill and George Bernard Shaw were each other's sandpaper people. They were not fishing buddies. They did not like each other. George Bernard Shaw was a famous playwright in London. He was an artist. He was also a political activist and critic, particularly of Churchill's policies and decisions. And Churchill wasn't a fan of his either. There was an exchange recorded between the two of them where Bernard Shaw invited Churchill to attend one of his new plays that he had written on the opening night in London, and the exchange went this way. Winston, I'm enclosing two tickets to the first night of my new play here in London. Bring a friend if you have one. <laughs> to which Churchill replied, George, I cannot possibly attend the first night. We'll attend the second night if there is one. We all have sandpaper people in our lives. We all have difficult relationships. People that rub us the wrong way, that get under our skin, that get on our nerves, that disappoint us, that confuse us, that fall short of our expectations and standards for them. And last week as we opened up this teaching about what God has to say about the difficult relationships in our lives, and God does have a lot to say about those difficult relationships, we talked about three truths of sandpaper people, three truths about sandpaper people. And if you were here, use this as a review, a recap if you weren't, three truths about sandpaper people that set the foundation for our series. The first is that we all have sandpaper people in our lives. You're not the only one, and your sandpaper people are not the worst, even though you might think they are. We all have sandpaper people in our lives. Interestingly, last week I said, you know, amen to that. Everyone said amen. We all have sandpaper people in our lives. But here's the second truth. We all are sandpaper people. I didn't get as many amens uh, uh, about that last week. We all are difficult people for other people. And that's humbling for us to think about, that someone is going to take copious notes during this series, and they're going to be thinking about you and how they handle you. We can all be difficult for other people. We can all disappoint other people. So we all are sandpaper people. And then finally, the third truth about sandpaper people that we started the series with is God uses sandpaper people. When we place the difficult relationships of our lives into the hands of Jesus, who was, after all, a carpenter, who knew how to shape and mold and build things. When we put difficult relationships in the hands of Jesus, he's able to use them not to scratch us, but to polish us, to make us more into the image of God, to smooth out the rough edges in our own lives. And so what this series is all about, the heart of this series is how to handle difficult relationships according to God. What does God have to say about that? And how we can place those relationships into the hands of Jesus and instead of them scratching us, 
they can be used to transform us more into the image of Christ. And so over the next four weekends, including this weekend, we're going to talk about four relationship-changing principles, four life-changing principles about how we deal with sandpaper people. And they're not from me, they're straight from God's Word. What does God say about how to handle difficult relationships in your life? Here's the first principle we're going to start with, accept the person. Accept the person, that sandpaper person in your life, that difficult relationship, we've got to begin with seeing them as a person who was created in the image of God, a person that God loves and desires a relationship with. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19 today, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you're following on the app, it's already preloaded there. A story about how to handle sandpaper people and specifically how to accept the person, seeing beyond all the, all the rough edges and seeing to the heart of who God has made people to be. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The word of God to you today. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Verse four, so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. Verse 7, Luke 19. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who is Zacchaeus? Let's start with a little context for our passage. Jesus is entering into the city of Jericho, a very important city. Jericho was a city that was given to Herod the Great from Caesar Augustus as a gift He had his summer palace there. It was a very important city in terms of transportation. People would cross east and west there. And Zacchaeus is listed as a chief tax collector in this very important city called Jericho. This is the only time in the New Testament that the word chief tax collector or phrase chief tax collector is used. Of course, tax collector is used many times. This is the only time the title chief tax collector is used. Luke chapter 19, verse 2. In other words, Zacchaeus was a very important person. The Romans were ingenious in the ways that they would collect taxes to fund the expansion of their empire. When they would go and conquer a people or a territory, they would conscribe people into their service who were indigenous leaders in that place. In other words, they would pick out people who were native to that land, to that territory, to collect taxes on behalf of the emperor. And Zacchaeus was one of them. And guess what the people, how they viewed these tax collectors? Did they like them? 
To put it in our terms, they became IRS agents, people who lived among us, and they could point out how rich you were and how much money you owed the empire. You couldn't fool them. You might fool a Roman who came from Rome that you didn't have a lot of money, but someone who's your neighbor can say, you just bought a new boat. I know you have money. You got to pay your due, the tax to the emperor back in Rome. So again, the Romans would go in and they would employ these folks to collect taxes on their behalf because they knew them. They knew people who were affluent, had money, and they could collect more money. This also required tax collectors to literally sell themselves out to the empire, not just monetarily, but spiritually. The emperor demanded sacrifices to be made in his name. So Zacchaeus not only sold out his people, he sold out his faith in the one true God. He was seen as a a traitor, an outcast, ostracized from his community. Sandpaper people oftentimes are marginalized, and many times they make choices, willful choices, to ostracize uh, and, and put themselves outside of the normative circles of life and community. A lot of times sandpaper people in your life, and if you're thinking of someone right now or someone's right now, they've made choices to marginalize themselves. And oftentimes they are known by, by their choices, they're labeled that way. Uh, Zacchaeus was known as a chief tax collector. You're going to see later on in the story, people label him as a what? A sinner. They don't call him by name. Uh, they put a label, they attach a label to him by his behavior. And this is probably a good teaching point for us. Many of us have attached labels to our sandpaper people for their behaviors. They're a liar. They're, they're someone who's not a good boss. They're someone who's annoying. Uh, they're, they're, they're confusing. They disappoint us all the time. We put labels on people by their choices and their behavior. And little by little, we put them outside the circle, and many times they can't get back in. Zacchaeus is a person who is outside the circle. We can agree on that. He's made choices that have put him outside of the realm of community for his own people. I want to share a story that was given to me about a college student. I know many of you who are back at college this week, you, you tune in and watch the services, and we're so grateful that you do that. Maybe this has happened to you when you've entered into one of your classes. You have a, a classmate that spreads their stuff all over the place. Any of you have classmates like that when you were in college? They put their stuff all over the place, and you're trying to get a seat, and they've got their books and their bag and all their stuff, their coffee spread out all over the place. This is a story that went viral on Twitter about someone who had a sandpaper person sitting behind him, uh, beside him that would put their stuff all over the place. This is what he said says, hey guys, I know I usually only post jokes on my Twitter feed, but bear with me, I wanted to share something more significant. In one of my management classes, there's a guy who sits next to me every single day. He's a foreigner, he doesn't speak English, or or barely any English. The most advanced thing I've ever heard the guy say in English is, wow, my muffin is really good. This guy also has a habit of stacking every single item he owns in the exact space that I sit every day. His bag, his food, his books, his phone are always right on my desk. And I am always, capital A, always annoyed with this guy. I'm thinking, dude, you know I sit here every day. Why are you stacking your stuff here? And the last thing I wanna do is to give this guy a high five, but he wants to give me a high five every single morning. Today I came into class and I was running a few minutes late and I was standing outside because I had to send a quick text before I came in. 
I could see my usual space through the door out of the corner of my eye. And of course, my desk was filled with all of his belongings, the usual. As I stand there on my phone, another guy who was also late walks into class before me and tries to take my seat. I always sit in the same place closest to the door. The guy sitting next to me stops this guy uh, from sitting down and says, I'm sorry, my friend Thomas sits here. It was then that I realized this guy wasn't putting stuff on my seat to annoy me. He was saving my seat every morning. And this whole time he saw me as a friend, but I was too busy thinking about myself to take that into consideration. Cheesy as it sounds, I was touched. I ended up going into class, and of course, he cleared his seat off and said, ah, Tom, you're here today, okay, and I got a high five. At the end of class, I ended up asking him if he wanted to go get a bite to eat. We did. We talked for a while. I got through the broken English. Turns out the guy moved here from the Middle East to pursue a college education in America. He plans to go back. He's married, has kids. He works full time and sends all of his money back home to his wife. I asked him how he liked America. He he said he missed his family, but he was excited to be here and that not every American is nice to him like I am. I bought his lunch, of course. Dude deserves it. He gave me a high five, of course, for buying his lunch. (laughs) Got to keep up tradition. Moral of the story, don't do what I did and constantly think about yourself. It took me nearly an entire semester to realize this guy was trying to be my friend, not to annoy me. Better late than never, I suppose. Certainly sandpaper people in our lives do things. They make choices just like Zacchaeus to put themselves outside of the circle. A lot of times they warrant our disappointment and frustration, even labeling. But I want you to focus not on the sandpaper this morning. I want you to focus on that final word of our series, people. At the end of the day, each of the people that annoys us and frustrates us, that rubs us the wrong way, are people made in the image of God, an object of God's love and affection that he desires to be in relationship with. And people, after all, have a desire to see Jesus, to be known, to be loved. And when we don't see Jesus in the right way and we're not seen in the right way, we'll search for that intimacy to be known and to know in all kinds of different, different relationships, oftentimes destructive relationships. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 19, verses 3 through 5, that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who he was, more specifically, verses 3 and 4. I love the way that's phrased here in Luke 19. He didn't just want to see Jesus, he wanted to see who he was. He wanted to understand him. But because of whom he wasn't able to see Jesus? The crowd. We know he's short in stature. For those of you who grew up in church, many of you learned a song about Zacchaeus, right? If you didn't grow up in church, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I won't sing it. I'm not going to do it. But it's a thing. It's a thing, right? And we learned growing up in church that Zacchaeus was short. He was small in stature, and the Bible tells us that. He wasn't able to see. But we also learn here in our story that it was because of the crowd that Zacchaeus couldn't see. And I want to just stop there for a moment. Sometimes uh, people have to see through us or see us to see Jesus. We've talked about before that if you're a Christ follower, you may be the Bible that many people read before they pick up the Bible and read it themselves. You're going to be the Jesus that people see and they hear before they really learn to follow Jesus and hear his voice for themselves. 
And far be it from us, especially with our sandpaper people, to stand in the way of people actually seeing who Jesus is. Who want to know him, want to know what he's all about, want to know his claims over their life. May they see us and be able to see Jesus. May we not be an obstacle to them seeing Jesus. People desire intimate relationships where they can be seen and where they can see. You've heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again here at this moment. You you need to be in a community of people where you can know their names and they can know your name, where they can know your life and you can know their life. It's difficult in rows of worship on the weekend to have those types of relationships. So it's important for us to move from rows of worship on the weekends, wherever campus you might be on, to circles of community. And the best way to do that is to jump into one of our new city circles here where you can uh, struggle through life together and glorify God, where you can be stirred by the scriptures and you can serve one another. I want to give a a shameless plug for GroupLink that's coming up next week across all of our campuses. At the conclusion of every worship service next Sunday, you'll have an opportunity to find your people, to get into a circle And so I want to encourage you to register, whether you you go on the app or online, or go to Connection Point right after the service today, wherever campus you're on, and tell them that you want to sign up for GroupLink. We want you to get in a circle where you can know and be known. It's the, the, the desire of every single human heart, and we see that playing out in the passage. Zacchaeus wants to see, and he wants to be seen. And guess what? So do your sandpaper people. They want to be seen for beyond their labels and their choices, and they want to be seen as a person. And they want to be able to see. They want to be able to understand this Jesus that we follow. Verses 5 and 7, Luke 19, the, the eyes of a, a sinner, Zacchaeus, as he's been labeled, and the eyes of the Savior, Jesus, meet together. And I love this passage that, yes, Zacchaeus sees Jesus, but Jesus sees him and calls him by name. He doesn't say, hey, sinner, come down, I want to talk to you. He doesn't say, hey, chief tax collector, come down, I want to talk to you. He says what? Zacchaeus. Jesus calls each of us by name. He knows us and he wants us to know him. This is significant. In a world that's labeled Zacchaeus, all kinds of different labels, and I'm sure there were many other labels that they put on him, many other names that they called him, Jesus calls him by name and sees him. And the two lock eyes and two kingdoms collide here. The kingdom of this world, namely the Roman Empire, and the kingdom of God. It's a significant moment of Jesus seeing past the problems and to a person. And with each of your sandpaper people, you're going to have to learn how to see past the problems and the annoyances and oftentimes many of their choices, sometimes difficult, poor choices, and see to the heart of a person who desires to be seen and to see, who desires to know and to be known. And their choices oftentimes won't, won't lead you to think that or believe that. But at the end of the day, people want to be loved. They want to be seen for who they are as a person and not for their choices, even their difficult choices. Jesus models this perfectly for us, calling Zacchaeus by name, saying, hey, I want to come have lunch with you today, which was a very sacred thing in that culture to, to sup together, to be together To to share a meal with one another at a table was a very intimate, sacred thing. And Jesus says, out of all these people, Zacchaeus, I want to share a meal with you. 
I want to know you. I want to hear your story. And guess how the crowd reacted to this? They loved it, right? Good for you, Jesus. No, verse 7, they did what? They grumbled. They complained. He's going to be the guest of a a sinner. When we're focused on the shortcomings and the sins of others, we oftentimes forget our own sins. A group of sinners are labeling someone else a sinner. Imagine that. That Jesus would go and have lunch with Zacchaeus and not with us. Someone who is worse than us, who is the chief of all sinners, Jesus chose him to to be with, to pour into, to share life with. Can I ask a question I'm asking myself too, of each of us? If our sandpaper person or people, if they changed, would you allow them to change? Have you ever thought about that? If they changed their behavior, if they changed their choices, would you allow them to change? It's interesting in our Bible reading, we've been reading through the scriptures together as a church and we're in Matthew chapter 13 right now. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus goes into Nazareth, his, his hometown, and he performs miracles and he teaches in the synagogues, but they didn't accept him. In fact, they were offended by him. And the Bible says that he was not able to perform as many miracles as he wanted to because of their lack of belief. And one of the things they said was, isn't this Mary's son? This is the carpenter's son? Where did he get this great wisdom and this miracle working power? In other words, they wouldn't let him become who he was born to be. They wouldn't let him change. In their mind, he was just the carpenter's son. I wonder if you would allow your sandpaper person to change. At the heart of our Christian faith is transformation, the ability to change and to morph into the image of God. We want to be changed, don't we? Oftentimes we hear culturally when we meet people after years, you go to a reunion, you connect with someone that you haven't with in a while, and they would maybe say in a derogatory way, you've changed. Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes in relationships, you've you've changed. I, I hope that all of us as Christ followers would say, yes, and I am changing. I am becoming, by God's grace, more like Jesus, formed and shaped. And, 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 and oftentimes, through difficult things and difficult relationships, I'm being crafted more into the image of God. Would you allow your sandpaper person to change? Or do they, this is, I know I'm getting into deep water here. My, my grandfather used to say, now you've gone to meddling. Now you've gone to meddling. Here's some meddling. Maybe you need your sandpaper person to be a difficult person for you. Maybe they're playing a role in your life so that you can play the role that you want to play. You ever thought about that in narrative? To think about yourself as always being the hero, always being the one that's reasonable, always being the one that's got it figured out, and these other people are always the ones that are missing it, always the ones that are disappointing, always the ones that are falling short. If you're always the hero in your narrative, you're probably telling yourself a lie. If you never see yourself as the sandpaper person, if you, if you never see yourself as the villain, as the person that's wrong in the story, you probably don't have a good understanding of your own heart and your own story. This is a group of people that are desiring to see Jesus 
Jesus uh, goes into who they would label as the chief of the sinners to, to be with, with, with him, and they're indignant at it. They don't want Jesus to be Jesus to him. And thank goodness Jesus sees beyond our problems and sees us as people who were created in his image, object of, objects of his love. Because here's the final point I want to make today about accepting the person from the story. Jesus' acceptance, look at this, Jesus' acceptance of the person leads to repentance of the sin. Verses 8 through 10, Luke 19. Jesus' acceptance of the person leads to repentance of the sin. Now I want you to hear very carefully. What I'm not saying is that you need to accept your sandpaper people that their poor choices, their sin, their shortcomings. Jesus doesn't accept the poor choices and the sin that Zacchaeus has, has committed. He doesn't but he accepts him as a person. And it's that acceptance, it's that love, it's that act of kindness, it's Jesus taking a step towards Zacchaeus that causes repentance. You say, Chris, where does repentance show up in the story? Look at verses eight through 10. Zacchaeus says to Jesus, behold, I'm selling half of my goods and I'm giving them to the poor. And if, I, and if I've defrauded anybody, which he probably has, he became a rich man because he probably defrauded his fellow countrymen and taking and collecting too many taxes from them and being harsh with them. And he says, not only am I going to restore what I've, what I've taken from them, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it two times, nope, three times, four times, fourfold I'm going to restore any ways that I've defrauded anybody else in my life. The word repentance means to turn or to change. When we follow Jesus, we repent of our sins. We re repent of our lifestyle. We repent of following ourselves and we change. Our belief in Christ and who he is should cause an actionable change in our lives. And we see that for Zacchaeus. And Jesus celebrates it. Look at verse 9. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And even though he's talking to Zacchaeus, he's also speaking loud enough for the entire crowd to hear that salvation has come to this house. And he, he says, moreover, that this man is also a son of Abraham. He's speaking that to the crowd. And this is very significant because not only is he a son of Abraham and his lineage as a Jew, but he's now a son of Abraham because of his belief in Christ. John chapter 1 says to as many who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of the will of flesh and blood, but born of the spirit of God. John 1, 12 and 13. Zacchaeus has now become a child of God because of his belief in Christ and the evidence repentance that he's shown in his life. He joyfully receives Jesus and salvation's come to his house. Jesus concludes this narrative, this story of Zacchaeus about accepting the person, seeing beyond their disappointments, their frustrations, the ways that they've even defrauded other people as Zacchaeus had, and seeing to the heart of a person that God loves. He concludes by saying in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, his mission statement. Jesus said a variation of this multiple times throughout the, the Gospels. He says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, he's saying to the entire crowd, my whole purpose, my mission was to come and to seek and to save people just 
like Zacchaeus, just like your sandpaper people or person in your life. Jesus has come to seek them out and to save them. And ultimately, he may have placed you in their life to be a part of that story. And the truth is that those people that are disappointing and annoying and frustrating that get under your skin, that are difficult for you, are also shaping and molding you more into the image of Christ. They're teaching you patience, resilience, commitment to relationship, to see beyond what someone can do for you and what you can do for them. How you can pour into them and love them. Remember we talked about how love always moves us to a posture of giving. Lust is all about what you can get. And many of us, our relationships are built on what we can get out of them. And this series, if nothing else, is a challenge to think about the difficult relationships, especially in our life, and what we can give in those relationships. Namely, the love of Christ, acceptance to people who oftentimes have probably been rejected. The bottom line today, accept the person as Jesus has accepted you. Did I say you have to accept their insults and behaviors, the ways they may defraud you or disappoint you or confusion or, or sin against God? No, you don't have to accept that behavior. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But you do need to accept them as a person that is loved by God and someone that God has placed in your life for such a time as this. Here's the application today, twofold. Who this week, who this week in your life has God placed in your sphere of influence at work, maybe even in your own home, in your neighborhood? Who this week do you need to take a step towards? Just like Jesus took a step towards Zacchaeus, who do you need to take a step towards? Who do you need to call by name instead of some label that you've put on them? Who do you need to speak their name and to say, this is such a simple question to ask, but, but can be... Uh, transforming, especially for a person who's outside of the, the circle. How are you? To speak someone's name, to look them in the eye, to know them and to say, how are you? And to really listen. Who this week do you need to take a step towards? And here's the second application. What sandpaper person in your life today do you need to accept as a person? What, what person do you need to drop the label that you've put on them and begin to see them as a person that was created in the image of God and maybe, just maybe, a person that God's placed in your life to love them in behalf of Jesus? Next week, we're going to continue the series by talking about forgiving the hurt. This is going to be a very important message. All of them are, but I want you to be here next week, forgiving the hurt. We're going to talk about how to move past the hurts that many sandpaper people have, have placed in our life and have done towards us. If you're in a relationship of any kind, you've been hurt. And we need to understand when we're hurt, what do we do according to God's word? We'll continue next week with that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he came and met us right where we are. That he accepted not our shortcomings and sin, but he accepted us as people and loved us even in spite of ourselves and our choices. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to meet us where we are, Jesus. Would you give us the wisdom to know what you're saying to each of us today from your word? And would you now also give us the faith to believe it, 
and to leave this place and obey. To you alone be the glory. Amen.